0: Obviously, you've come to the Leading Saints podcast because you love podcasts and you love consuming content in this manner—listening uh, to a pre-recorded conversation, or interview, or presentation—and we get a lot of good stuff here. But nothing compares to an in-person retreat experience. This is one thing I've learned in the last few years that we are infusing into our Leading Saints content: is the need for in-person experiences, also known as retreats. So, Leading Saints has started putting on retreats, both for men, women. We're going to play around with couples retreats and we'll try it all. But retreats are a transformational experience. And I implore you to go check out leading slash gathering, where we list all of the upcoming retreats. Some are open to register others. You can get on a waiting list, but we would love to have you at the next in-person retreat. Now, if you can't afford it, if there may be, if you price out of these opportunities. Don't worry. We have very generous donors willing to put up money for scholarships. So either go there, check it out, register, or apply for a scholarship. And we'd love to have you at the next Gathering Saints retreat put on by Leading Saints. So go to leadingsaints.org gathering to check out the upcoming Gathering Saints retreats. so you're checking us out as maybe a potential podcast you could start listening to i know many of you have been listening for a long time but let me just talk to the newbies for a minute what is leading saints what are we trying to do here with this podcast well let me explain leading saints is a nonprofit organization a 501c3 is what they call it and we have a mission to help latter-day saints be better prepared to lead now of course often means in the context of a calling. It may mean in your local community, your work assignments. We've heard about our content influencing all sorts of leaders in all sorts of different contexts. We invite you to listen to this episode and maybe a few others of our 500 plus episodes that we have out there. Jump in and begin to learn and begin to consider some of these principles we talk about on the Leading Saints podcast. Here we go. Today I'm jumping on with Eric Jensen from Denver, Colorado. Eric, what's up?
1: Hey, Kurt, how's it going, man? Good to see you.
0: Yeah, this is fun to connect. You know, I, man, I don't know if you emailed me a few months ago or something, but somehow we got connected, and it's led to a phone call and and various phone calls and whatnot. But I've, it's just been so great to connect with people like you who are out there in the leading saints audience who are just, you know, I guess leadership geeks like myself. Right? Is that a fair? Uh, That's a, a good fair, description uh,
1: right I love leadership. Been studying leadership and practicing it for 27 plus years and cool. just love it. I, yeah. Do you remember how you first came across Leading Saints? You know, I don't. Someone I don't I just don't. I don't the first interview I heard was with you and Jeff Birmingham and I was so intrigued by that. Oh yeah. I actually reached out to him and we connected a little bit and then reached out to you but uh, I mean I love I love the whole Leading Saints uh, what you what you doing here. You've sacrificed eight years of your life to interview hundreds and hundreds of people. Content's wow. amazing. By the way, my dad approves. He's 83, just turned oh, wow. 83 on March fifteenth. He's a patriarch, a seether. He's been a mission president, bishop, and state presidency. I mean, he's been serving in the church since he was in his twenties. And boy. so I was like, Dad, you, you gotta listen to this. Like, Here, listen to this one by uh, from where you interviewed Lynn G. Roth. Uh-huh. So my dad listens to it. He's like, You know, son, that was good, Eric. I I, I really could have used that. When I was in my 30s, I was in the state presidency and I was Called to, tra- I was assigned to train all of the new elders' quorum presidents, and I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not even sure I did that great <laughs> of a job. I sure could have lo- would have loved to hear this some leading saints content back then. And uh, so yeah, if my dad approves, well, that's he cool. must be on the right track.
0: That's awesome. Well, that that really means a lot. And so you t- say you've been in leadership or, or practicing leadership and being a student leadership all these years. Has it always just sort of been a natural curiosity for you?
1: Actually, you know, not at all. As I, when I was a Teenager growing up, and I was a good kid, but I was, you know, I was, uh, was rambunctious, let's put it that way. My mom, my mom was concerned. She had no need to be concerned. <laughs> I didn't mention the whole thing, but um, they used to always tell me, Eric, you're a leader. And I would say to myself, I, I am? What does that even mean? I don't even know what it means to be a leader. And so I still kind of went through college not knowing what they meant or what that meant. I went to work for this small mining equipment company out of school. In Las Vegas, Nevada, and I, I just absolutely hated it, and changed careers and went to work in financial services. And I've been mentored by some incredible leaders. You know, I mean, these people are uh, the good people inside and outside of the church. You know, people have served missions and all, I mean, been mission presidents, all sorts of stuff, and also very successful, hundred million plus, have their own private jets and stuff. So I've been mentored by some incredible leaders, and, and done a lot of become. I've become a student of leadership, and through books and through. Mostly books. And then I started hearing your podcast and I'm like, wow, this is how we could apply leadership in a church. And I realized that I've kind of been doing some of those things already inside the church and my family. And, and, but I've learned way more, you know, so hey, thanks again, by the way, because I've been able to be mentored through leading saints by people I would have never come in contact with. Like we mentioned, you know, Lynn Robbins and uh, Brad Wilcox and Lawrence Benlove was one of the great ones I loved. Tony Overbay. I uh, just listened to Dave Olrich this morning. He that one was was really cool, and, and Dennis Deaton and all sorts of people. So it's been a great. Your podcast has been a great mentorship for me as well, as far as leadership goes.
0: Nice, nice, awesome. Well, yeah, I'm, and this is. I guess I want to use you as an example of of encouragement to maybe people listening that I know there's individuals out there. You know, we often frame them as the leadership class in the church, where they don't necessarily have a calling. You know, we love serving those leaders who maybe get called as a bishop or chief sidey and president and You know, yeah, jump into the podcast. You're going to learn some great principles and concepts and whatnot. But we realize not everybody is in these roles with these week to week, day to day, you know, tasks and duties and whatnot. We're happy to serve those people as with our content. But then there's this group that I call the leadership class. Uh, Dan Duckworth helped me come up with this this term of just individuals who just feel like you know I want to have an influence, regardless of my calling. I want to. I want to contribute, you know, I want to be a force for good in my ward or stake or whatever it is, regardless of my calling. And so if there's individuals out there who are, you know, like Eric and and want to reach out, like Eric, you're the type of guy that I love to get on the phone with and just chat and just hear like, oh, what episode did you like? What stood out? Or, you know, do you wanna jump in and help our mission with leading saints in some way, right? Like there's so much to do and so much. So our mission is large enough that it's not gonna get done through Kurt Frankham, you know. So, anyways, I just want to put that out there. If there's people out there, like Eric, who are just love leadership, love talking about it, and would love to connect. Like, I will make time for those phone calls. I'm not that busy, don't take that, those types of phone calls. So I'm so glad you reached out, Eric.
1: No, it's awesome. And I love, you know, I've noticed as I've really become a student of leadership inside the church through your podcast and others, that there's sort of like this there's top down leadership in the church, and then there's bottom up leadership in the church. And I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of us make in the leadership class or just in general. Is we're sitting around waiting to be picked, right? Well, I, I can't really do much because no one's picked me. Well, you know what? We're not in grade school. Remember in grade school when the, you had two team captains with the soccer yep. team, and, and you, you didn't want to be the last one picked because you like you felt like a scrub, right? Well, that's not, that's not how it is. We, we've all been picked. You know, our Father in Heaven has picked each of us in the pre mortal life to do something pretty amazing, which is you know which is why we're here. You know, and it reminds me of a quote, if you don't mind, I'll read a quick quote here by Therese. Yeah, Hay. love it. Yeah. Back from 2003 to BYU Devotional, she says, You were recommended to help run the last leg of the relay. That began with Adam and Eve. My sons ran track, and I love relay races. They're so much fun. It's like a team track becomes a team sport when you run a relay race, especially when you come from behind, right? Your pre mortal spiritual valor indicated you would have the courage and determination to face the world at its worst, to be fearless in building the kingdom of God. You simply must understand this because you were born to lead by the virtue of who you are, the covenants you've made, and the fact you're here in the 11th hour. Almost done. You're born to lead as mothers and fathers because nowhere is righteousness, righteous leadership more crucial than in the family. You were born to lead as priesthood and auxiliary leaders, as heads of communities, companies, and even nations. You were born to lead men and women willing to stand as witnesses of God at all times and all things and all places. That's what true leadership is. Mm. I bet, huh? That kind of hit me. That's a
0: great talk. That's a great talk that uh, we'll have to link to it because it's worth, I think it's titled you were born to lead, right?
1: I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. 2003 yeah. devotional, BYU devotional. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So in, in your story, Eric, like, I mean, you've had various church leadership roles. I mean, maybe you just sort of paint the picture, but you know, you haven't, you haven't had the same trajectory as your father, right. Of, you know, no, going through no. all the, all those heavy callings <laughs> with titles and, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, thank heaven's for him and thanks heaven's for me. Right. Cause everyone has yeah. their own, their own path in life, their own leadership path and, and I've been called the lead, you know, in, in my professional career and, and within my family and the church as well, doing different things. I'll give you a quick background about about who who's Eric Jensen, right? And probably describes a lot of people in your audience. I, I grew up as a hillbilly in, in Eagle, Idaho, back in the uh, kind of 70s and 80s. And uh, of course, uh, Eagle is now a high-end suburb, I've been told, the back in the yeah, old- Yeah, I was actually nations, just uh, there a farm.
0: couple weeks ago. Yeah.
1: But, so I've been, I have been there for a long time. When I was there, there was a chicken farm and a penny candy store downtown and that was about it. And my mom made homemade, I wore homemade clothes to church, church to school from time to time, got made fun of. Tough skin pants. Yeah. We had a huge garden. <laughs> I kind of grin and bored. It was great. But my mom said, you're going to eat squash for breakfast. We all put our foot down and said, no, no squash for breakfast. I don't care if it's from the garden. But anyway, at 16, we moved to the big city of Washington, D.C. with my dad. Until, it was massive culture shock. I was the only male in my high school, my entire high school, my age. But I loved living there because it expanded my view of the world and what was possible, you know, and what I could potentially do. And then, of course, I served a, a mission, Spanish-speaking mission in Santa Rosa, California, got out, went to, went to school, got my undergrad in international relations and then my MBA at BYU. And uh, it, for all of you IR guys, I'm sorry, it is a fairly worthless degree, unless you want to be in the FBI <laughs> or CIA, which is probably not me. <laughs> anyway, the NBA was good. And then I got a job in Vegas, as I mentioned, for a small little industrial supply company. Hated it. So I became a financial advisor. And of course, when you start out, it's a rough business. You're 100%. Committed. There's no salary. Yeah, There's no vacation time either. My wife said when I, I quit my job, how much vacation time do we get? I was like, as much as we can afford, which right now is zero. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, I, I remember telling my wife when I quit my job, she was sitting on our plaid sofa with my three-year-old son and our He was playing outside and the three-week-old son was in her, holding her in her arms, holding him in her arms. And uh, I said, hey, honey, I quit my job. And of course, she she burst into tears, not tears tears of joy, by the way. So I, I knew I had to do whatever it took to be successful. And this is about the time I started learning about leadership. I got some mentorship from some pretty amazing people. So obviously, I was motivated. I had three weeks worth of income saved in the bank when I quit my job. But I told my wife, "Don't worry." I negotiated a great package with my boss, who gave me another three weeks of severance. So I, we're we're good. <laughs> we were not good. It was bad. So I'm i running around. You know, at the time when you first started, I had to meet kind of people's homes in the evenings, and I'm driving th- from appointment to appointment, listening to Efy music, trying to stay motivated and, and keep my sanity. And now, fast forward 25 years, and those leadership principles we put them in practice, and I now in in business with my two sons, which is amazing, and they they've got a couple kids and. Live here in Denver, near us, and we love doing stuff together. And we've got a—we built a firm with a hundred other financial professionals in it. And so I've had to learn to lead a group of a hundred independent contractors, people, and there's some pretty big egos in this in this business. And learn how to lead them, and motivate them, and inspire them. Because I can't say, "Hey, do this or you're fired." I'm not their boss, right? I like to say, "Success is your boss," and success mm-hmm. will give you whatever you demand of it, but not what you ask. You can't just say, "Please." You got to go out and get it. You know, and I yeah. love that. I, I love to ski, by the way. And I, I was watching uh, Lindsay Vaughn when she won a gold medal. And she gets down to the end of the hill and, and she's got the gold medal. And the interviewer says, Hey, Lindsay, you know, I'm, I'm so good job on winning. Were, were you glad that your competitor had won gold in a previous event? So maybe she wouldn't try as hard. And Lindsay says, No, no, no. No one gives you anything in this sport or in life. If you want a gold medal, you've got to go out and take it. And I think that's uh, a good leadership lesson right there. You got to make it happen.
0: Yeah. And How can maybe that translate to the church leadership world? Because it is easier to sort of, you know, we talk a lot about apathy and sort of disengagement, you know, and and there's a lot of disengagement in the secular world as well. But it's sort of, uh, you know, it's easy to maybe just show up and say, hey, listen, I'm here. If you need me, call me to something, happy to help. But if not, you know what? I'm going to head home, get those sweatpants on. And, you know, uh, how how can we maybe uh, build that bridge over to the leading in the church world?
1: Great point. Great point. You know. I think it's easy to go through the motions, especially if you don't have like a big calling, so to speak. I mean, to me, the biggest calling is a parent. But in the church, you know, I'll give you a quick story, quick example. I was the, my favorite calling of all time was priest quorum advisor. I love hanging out with the boys and taking them boating, surfing, skiing, whatever. And the bishop was like, You're having way too much fun. Let's go hike a 14er. You got to do something tough. I'm like, okay, so we're going to hike a 14er and then we're going to go to the lake and we're going to wake surf and have and, and make a barbecue and have a good time. So, but, but the bishop gave me the greatest compliment, Bishop Ray, a long time ago. He said, Eric, I, I brought you in as, as a priest corps advisor because my son and your son are priests. And I want my son to have a good role model in the church. And he said years later, he asked his son, Jeff, hey, Jeff, who was the, the biggest adult influence in your life? Other than his dad, of course. And he said it, it was Eric Jensen. I was like, whoa, I almost it almost brought me to tears. Says, That's cool. If I can help one youth kind of get on their way. I did my job as a leader, you know, teaching seminary for four years. I've helped influence hundreds of kids and had a lot of fun and, and some pain too, you know, teaching early morning seminary outside of Utah. It's like yeah. trying to nail jello to a wall sometimes, but it's awesome. And, and you see the kids grow up and go on missions, get married in the temple and do. And really more important than the things they're doing is just seeing them finding joy in the gospel and finding joy in life. Dave Ulrich said this on his interview with you. I've got these kind of seven key points of leadership. And Dave was like, no, no, no it's one thing. It's not even about your style or what you do. It's about how you serve others and bring the best out of them. And I thought, you know what? Isn't that what Christ did? He was all about bringing the best out of us, saving us, basically. He was the ultimate leader. And he did some stuff too that ticked off uh, you know, the Jews. He, he was a rule maker, a rule follower, but he was also thinking outside the box. Like Remember the story where he's, he's, hunting, he's walking, he's on a it's the Sabbath, right? Well, he's, he went so far as to change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday which is kind of an administrative change, not a doctrinal change. But he's walking to the field on Saturday. He's hungry. He picks a piece of corn He eats it. And the Jewish leader said, hey, what are you doing? You're not allowed to pick corn and work, whatever, on Sunday. Pick corn. And he said, hey, what do you say? Remember his response? Uh, man, Sabbath. Man Sabbath is made for man, yeah, not yeah. for the Sabbath, right? Yep. So he was more about people than like rules or arbitrary things or putting a hammer down. He was about love. and Leadership really is about love and learning, really, the kind of two big things, I think.
0: Yeah. And you, you say that people like that connection point, right? And that can be, you know, sometimes we aim for influence when, you know, the people are right in front of us, even though it may not be a hundred people or 500 people, we can still create a connection there. And it's in that connection where leadership can be found, right? With these, these young men yeah. that you've, you've led, you know, it was in that connection that you built with them rather than because you sat on the stand or, you know, that you came up with the Bishop's challenge yeah. or, you know, th- those types of things.
1: Yeah, it was in the connection and in, in the using that connection to draw the best out of them, to see them like the Lord sees them, right? I love the scripture where he, I can not remember the, which prophet it is, where he's calling King David. And he goes to the oldest son and says, no, he's a, he's a huge guy, but no. And then finally says, well, these are all my kids. You're not missing somebody. Yeah, well, there's this one guy kind of out there feeding the sheep or whatever. And it turns out to be David, right? Am I getting the story right? I think and, so. Yes. And he says, the Lord looketh upon the soul, not as man. So if we can use that connection to help people, that's what it was. Ultimate leadership is helping people achieve their divine potential. That's what Dave Ulrich said in different words. And that's what the savior did.
0: And you really see that, I mean, you have opportunity to do that both in your day job, you know, being a leader in that realm and also at church on Sunday, right? There's no, it's just sort of, it's part of your persona, your identity, that you're that type of person, regardless if it's in whatever context it's in.
1: Yeah, no no question. I mean, one other quick story if I could. So growing up in Idaho, awesome place, Eagle to all the Eagleites, hello out there. But it wasn't so much Idaho as it was the time period, right? The late late 70s, early 80s, the culture, in my opinion, in certain, especially small towns, was kind of like, hey, you got to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're in deep trouble. I mean, you, you can be perfect in paying your tithing. That's the start. And I'm kind of, wait a minute. And it took me... And so I, I kind of grew up with quite a bit of guilt. You know, because I wasn't perfect. I remember making mistakes and thinking, "Oh man, I better repent quick because if I don't repent before I die, I might go to hell." You know, and I wasn't <laughs> 90, kidding. 90 I'm not minute, joking yeah. now, but I, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't funny back then. I was <laughs> right, stressed yeah. out, freaked out. You know, too much uh, some guilt and shame. And and I'm not blaming anyone. It was just sort of the culture of where we were. You know, you, you wear homemade clothes and you're self independent. You have a garden and you just do what you're told. and It is what it is, right? But that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And certainly, I don't know if it works in today's world. And frankly, it's it's good. The, the culture, I've seen it change, right? And back a number of years ago, I want to say maybe 14, 15 years ago, my dad said, Hey, listen to this talk by President Nelson, who wasn't a prophet back then, called Perfection Pending. It's an October 1995 conference. Perfection Pending, if you haven't heard of it, there, please link to it if you could. But it's life changing. And the prophet, the prophet, President Nelson said in the stock, and it just stood out to me. A man is that he might have joy, men and women, that they might have joy, not guilt trips. It's like, whoa, man! I, I mean, that just spoke to me because I've been on a pretty long guilt trip, right? And I love that. And then he and then he goes to, goes on to talk about how the Greek word was teleos and how teleos is a di- something distant, a distant journey. It's becoming complete, right, in the distant future. And he says, frankly, the scriptures, the teleos. And perfection, as Christ said it, when he says, be there for perfect, as our Father in heaven is perfect, he didn't mean the absence of mistakes. Perfection in that context is not the absence of mistakes. It's becoming complete in Christ and accepting his gifts, his his atonement, his grace. And that really started me on this journey. And so instead of, but I wasn't the bishop, right? So I can't assign someone to give a talk on that. So what did I do? Well, I was a gospel doctor teacher at the time. Or actually at the time I think it was priest corner advisor and then gospel doctrine. So I taught lessons on that. And I would weave it into other lessons too. In fact, at one point the bishop said, Hey, Eric, I need you to teach the priests from the manual. You're getting off too much and talking about grace and all this other stuff, right? And I was like, Okay. So I would give a five minute synopsis of a lesson and I would go off <laughs> and teach the stuff I felt like the, the youth needed to hear at the time. And yeah, he was I fine, mean that was you your
0: know. the revelation that you were getting, right? I mean yeah in that context. And so
1: And and his son appreciated it, right? He said said it it influenced him, Jeff Ray. So I think, you know, we can weave these concepts and this helping people find joy in the gospel and bringing the best out of people just from our answers in Sunday school, from our answers in the religious society, elders quorum meeting, or as we give a church talk. You know, it's funny, I've been, I'm in the elders quorum presidency now, and every time I, and I I teach as well, I've been teaching in the past as well. And I, by the way, my kind of journey to, to grace, if you will, Brad Wilcox, the 2012 famous talk, YouTube talk on, Gra- on Grace. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. seen it. Yeah. You know Brad. Yeah. He's been on your podcast. He's amazing. Yep. And I remember he came out. He brought Arch- David Archuleta out to Denver a long time ago. The guy has a voice of an angel. He's in our Ward Chapel building in a shirt and tie. looked like he's going to choke to death, singing his beautiful notes. I'm like, bro, loosen your tie, man. You but he couldn't sing better anyway. He-, he was amazing. Anyway, but Brad Wilcox, I listened to that talk on Grace, and it was just just blew my mind. I was like, "Whoa, I get it." You know, the practicing the piano. You're not going to yell at your kid for making mistakes. You know they're going to make mistakes practicing the piano. You you love them less because they made a mistake. No, you love them more because they're trying, and you're there to help them. And, and the savior's the same way with us. And so, um, you know, these are just kind of some of the mentors that I've had, thanks to technology and podcasts and guys like you, through the years.
0: Yeah, and those are. Uh, I mean, just powerful concepts when we approach. You know, like you said, the the guilt trip. Is effective. I mean, it'll get stuff done. I mean, people, it's a good way to get people moving, right? But the grace component really, really adds to it. So, and you're talking in the context of like, here you are showing up, you know, in these callings. Again, you don't, you don't got the, you're not on the stand, you're not calling the shots per se, but you still found yourself found ways to, to step into callings and in ways of like, I feel prompted to, to talk more about this or that or connect with people, right? And, and this is how, yeah. when you feel like, man, yeah. I'm not being utilized, this is where you can, find these little caveats to lead in.
1: Right. Yeah. I I don't, I don't have time to sit around and wait to be picked because like I mentioned before, we've already been picked. We've been chosen in a pre-mortal life to do, to do some pretty cool things. Real quick cap on that story. So it's funny. So this is, I started talking about the Brad Wilcox talk maybe 10 years ago in elders quorum. And I'll, if I'm asked to give a church talk, I'll weave some grace stuff in and some other things in and, it's funny because I'm starting to hear there's youth who give talks now and they'll reference the Brad Wilcox talk or these concepts. They're mm-hmm. like, we were, having, we were talking as a family. I'm like, that's awesome. You know what? It didn't come from me. It came from you and your family. And that's the, the ultimate kind of test of leadership is who cares who gets the credit. As long as the good things are happening and you're mm-hmm. able to influence whether it's behind the scenes, bottom up or top down on the stand or from the audience or from, hey, I got a comment and send to school. The doctor class or whatever, or primary teacher. My wife, by the way, was the primary president for two or three, I think three years actually. And I mean, she transformed primary from no one wants to go there to everybody wanted to go to the primary. Uh, the Karen's were the uh, music leaders, and they're incredible. Uh-huh. And the kids loved them and the par- and the, the parents, you know, the teachers were having fun, and primary became the place to be as opposed to the place to not, because you really showed leadership. Bottom-up leadership and magnified that calling she had.
0: Yeah. Any other ways that we can that we can do that when we're not you know picked or assigned a specific calling, but we want to contribute? Any other approaches that you haven't mentioned?
1: Well, I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I, I really, that's, I think, it's what drives you. I mean, yeah, you've given it your life plus to, to, to do this and influence many, many. And you've had you've been a bishop, you've had calling too. But I mean, yes. this, no one called you to do this, did they?
0: No. I, well, God you, did. But uh, not, yeah. in a, not by no, man, calling wanna... me into the state president's office and extending me the role <laughs> as, as a leadership podcaster. And, you know, so.
1: So that you're the prime example. No, one yeah. in the church leadership, you know, no one extended this calling to you to start this podcast. In fact, who knows? Someone may have asked you not to do the podcast, right? But the bottom line <laughs> is, <laughs> it's been amazing and are influencing, I mean, the download of millions of people, frankly, millions of people for good, and members and non members alike.
0: Yeah, it's been fun. Been uh, And there's. Those moments where I'm like, man, you know, I would, I'd love to help out more in, in the ward, you know, and I have opportunities. I'm the deacon's quorum advisor right now. And, and that's fun and contributing. I also like God's constantly reminding me, well, you do remember that one calling I gave you, like you, <laughs> you are contributing quite a bit. So, you know, let's <laughs> spread the love a little bit. But anyways.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, so. like Steve Young, what was his calling, right? I think uh, during the, his NFL years or? Yeah, exactly. He, he had a calling to go out and I think he did a lot of good, you know, yeah. In and outside the church. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, we don't share patriarchal blessings. I'll just share one little minor, minor thing, but it's intriguing. Mine talks about church leadership for me specifically, which is kind of rare because usually they're kind of generic. And then it says, however, everything you, what what you're going to do in your career, I'm summarizing is just as important as anything you're going to do in the church. I was like, whoa. Okay. That's interesting. I better pay attention to what I'm doing and how I'm influencing people outside of the church that I'm interacting with. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, awesome.
1: You know to here as far
0: as, and don't let me jump too far ahead. But as far as I know, verse hope, belief, and faith. Like, where does that fit in with this effort to lead with an award without a specific title?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I've always, I grew up. I mean, I am an Orthodox member of the church. I, I keep all the rules, and do all the right stuff, right? I'm right there um, with your brother. Yeah, so so we're we're in good we're in good hands here. And so your you're you know, your audience as well. I'm sure a lot of them and. You know what? If they're not, that's great too. There's got to be room. I think that in Christ's yeah. church has got to be room for everyone and not just say there's room. I want when someone shows up who does not, is not orthodox or thinks outside the box, I don't want to just say they're welcome. I want them to feel welcome. I want them to feel like, whoa, this is my place. I have a place here. Not, I'm an outsider because I didn't go to BYU, not, not, you know, married with six kids, blah, blah, blah checking on. I don't. I want them to feel like, whoa, everyone is absolutely welcome here. And that's leadership, Frank. I mean, that's getting back to Dave Ulrich. I mean, that's the ultimate sign of leaders is bringing the best out of people, making them feel welcome. So
0: yeah. And does anything come um, to mind as far as like how you show up in that space You know, on on Sunday or even maybe just in your day-to-day life?
1: So I grew up saying, I know the truth is true, right? Just like everybody else. And it's great. And I know this and I know that. I know whatever. And that's fine. But it kind of hit me. A number of years ago, my wife's father is not a member of the church. And he's a great guy. You know, he goes to church all the time. He would actually study his lesson beforehand. I mean, he's the oh, dry wow. Mormon guy, right? So, remember <laughs> the church of Jesus Christ, Larry say That's right. Properly. And so, he... <laughs> yeah. So, but he's like, Eric, I can't, Eric, so I was like, Norm. I mean, I've known him a long time now. 27 plus years. What's the story? And we don't talk about it much because he kind of clams up. He does not like to talk about it. I was like, hey, what's the story? He's like, Eric, I can't join the church because I don't know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. I don't know the Book of Mormon is true. I, I think I believe in God, but I can't even say know for a fact God lives. And I'm like, oh, it just pains me to hear that. Yeah. It pains me. Because he's been hearing people for years get up and testimony me and saying I know this, I know that. So I kind of talked about that in a church talk I gave a while back, and, and I've said that in some different lessons. And i said, you know, nowhere in the scriptures, and I got this from a conference talk, I don't remember who said it, but nowhere in the scriptures does it say you have to know God lives to be saved. Or you have to mm-hmm. know Christ lives to be saved. All you have to do is you have to believe. Mm-hmm. You have to have faith. And if you can't even have faith, just have hope. Alma, I think, says just, just have some hope. If you have hope, that's okay. That, that is enough. And so that's not the way it works. We, we may not know. And everyone in the audience doesn't know. And guess what? That's okay. Quick story. Uh, many years ago when I used to live in Las Vegas, one of my, uh, my, my friend's dad was a general authority, awesome man, Lawrence C. Dunn. He's deceased, you know, since passed away. But he, he was in church and the bishop said, hey, would you mind bearing your testimony or talk for just a minute? So Lauren gets up and bears a testimony of Christ. And then, and then he finishes by giving the most powerful testimony, one of, one of the most I've ever heard. He just said, I know God lives. He looked at the audience, kind of like bore into the audience. he said, I know God lives. And he said it three times. And I was like, whoa, that's powerful. He knows that God lives. And I thought, well, you know what? I, I'm like in my 30s. At that time i don't i can know if i can say it with the same conviction he's saying it i know that he knows it so does that there's something wrong with me does that make me less of a person because i can't say i know I, I have faith and i believe and i came to the conclusion that no no it doesn't make anyone less of a person if you don't know it's okay if you believe and you, you want to believe you, even if you just want to believe remember the scripture the story of christ and, the, and there's the guy whose son is throwing himself in the fire he's got epilepsy made or something and he comes and he begs with the Lord, please, please, please heal my son. But I don't know, right? He says, I I, yeah. I believe, I, help thou my unbelief. Uh-huh. And what does God say? "Ah, oh, you're out because you don't know. He says, hey, yeah, don't right. worry about it. Your son's here, <laughs> right? And so just sharing concepts like that, I, I think the most important thing we can do as leaders, kind of bottom-up leaders who are serving in the church but aren't on the podium, right? Aren't on the stand? It is to help people find joy in the gospel. Join the gospel, join their lives and figure out what their divine potential is and then somehow achieve that or at least move to or start moving toward achieving their divine potential. For me, that is the ultimate sign of leadership and not just a church, but most importantly with our own families, right? Because you can have a, I mean, you can have an amazing church calling, but what if you're so focused there that you take your eye off the ball of the family relationship and stuff kind of goes to heck in the handbasket at home, but you are a great guy on the stand, right? What's more important? And yeah. I'm not say anything about anybody but it, it, it's not their fight it happens though right it, do, it does yeah. happen and not, there's no blaming it anyone it happens to everyone it happens to everyone right but still we'd I would hate to have that be the reason that I was so focused on the church that I missed out on the, the, the family and, and the personal relationships you know yeah yeah
0: I mean you need to keep that focus and in, in line and so that we because you can kind of get lost in it all you know the you know whether it's the we accidentally start aiming for certitude or to uh, have a quote unquote testimony when in reality, we just want a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, a relationship yeah. with God that we can turn to him that we can say, I think I believe, but Hey, will you help my unbelief? You know, like it's okay to sort of have that split second moment because you're in, in that relationship. Anything else we missed as far as in the context of being utilized when maybe you feel like you're not being utilized in, in a ward or stake?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just continuing to do and love and lead by example and share the fruits. of Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and because of the church, which are the two different things with the same goal, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news. It's the atonement. It is Jesus himself and his grace and salvation. The church is the entity on earth that's trying to help us and the whole world to come to Christ and understand him and live his gospel. But they are two different things, right? So the gospel and the doctrine, it's pure. It never changes, right? But the church itself, obviously, changes all the time. There, there can be a lot of changes. I was Someone was in town giving us a talk, and, and I think it was uh, the state presidency leadership training or whatnot, and they said that since President Nelson took over, there's been 108 different changes, some major and some minor and some people are afraid of change, especially in kind of the church environment. Well, if it changed, that means it was wrong. It was wrong. what? Or could it be wrong? Maybe it wasn't wrong. Maybe it's just better, right? I think leadership, part of leadership too, is being able to have the integrity to be in self awareness to say, hey, I made a mistake, or maybe I didn't make a mistake, but there's something better. And the way we, just because we were doing it this way for the last 50 or 100 or 150 years, doesn't mean it's the best way to, to going forward. Yeah. The only thing that, that's constant is change, you know? And real quick, back to leadership and just helping people find joy in the gospel, funny story, was sort of funny and sort of sad, but I, so the seminary teacher, I love my students and and I would do the, on Fridays, we'd play a game. I was too lazy to create really extensive games. So I would just say, here's a $5 Chipotle card and whoever remembers the most, can get the most questions right from the week, you know, they're going to win this Chipotle card, five or 10 bucks. And by the way, one thing I did that was unique is kind of cool from a leadership standpoint. Nobody told me to, but I'd say before I started every class, I would choose two people in the class, two students in the class and say, okay, you two, we're preparing to go on missions here and or just to teach. If you don't go on a mission, that's fine. It's your decision, but you're going to be a teacher. You're going to be raising kids and families and and you're going to be a leader in, in, in this world and in church. So we're going to have you give us a kind of two to five minute, two minute missionary discussion at the end of my seminary lesson. I'm going to stop five minutes early." And you two are going to come up and pretend like we're your investigators and you're teaching us a lesson, if you will. And the kids loved it and they hated it. <laughs> anyway, so I had a great rapport with my kids. One of my students, probably the smartest kid I ever taught was Ben Murray. I think he got a 36 on his ATC. Anyway, great kid. Hmm. Always had the answers, right? Yeah. So I, I set Ben up because I knew how he was going to answer the question. So I asked the question to the class, hey, is it better to know or believe? And of course, Ben knows the answer to no, know. Of course. I was like, oh, man, I got him. <laughs> No, Ben. No, it's, it's actually better to believe. He's like, no, 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 because of course he's been trained like all of us. That knowing is the pinnacle. Yeah. Believing is yeah, kind of yeah. a step below. So let's just see what the scriptures have to say about us. We went to, and this was kind of cruel to do too, but we had good reports. So we got to, we got uh, to twelve, and Christ is talking to his twelve disciples and maybe a larger group, and he says, "Blessed are you because you've seen me." I'm paraphrasing. You've seen me. You felt the prince of my hands. You know that I. You know that I. So blessed are you, right? But more blessed are those who you will go testify to who haven't seen me, but who believe on your words. So it's like, sorry, Ben, you don't get the Chipotle card today. (laughs) It is actually better to believe. Now I praise and I know it's a gift. There's a gift of the spirit to know. And those people who know, it's awesome. I'm not trying to take away from that in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But for the rest of us who believe and have hope and faith, that's okay too, you know? this is good.
0: Yeah. Great stuff. Should we shift to, uh, as far as, you know, when it comes to faith crises and and doubt and, you know, leading those that that are struggling there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. I, uh, I love the church and I've, um, like I said, been a faithful member for years. Recently, it seems like, and this is anecdotal, so I don't have any stats, right? This seems like I've lost a a number of friends who just left the church. I'm like, why? why, why is that? There's and I've heard, you know, through the grapevine, what a lot of youth were having trouble with some of the youth and keeping the youth around and whatnot. And you know, so I've been trying to figure out why. I've listened to a couple of podcasts, and people have talked about it, and whatnot, and trying to talk to different people. I had some close friends here, you know, uh, who left as well, and uh, they're, they're awesome people. In fact, I reached out to them after I listened to a certain podcast. I think it was one of yours, and just basically, hey, man, I, I, hey, bro, we're friends. I love you. Period. I wanted him to know that him leaving the church didn't mean he left me and our friendship, and I still care for him and his wife. We had amazing time together, fantastic couple. And and I just I started to realize that I think everybody, I don't think I know everybody's on their own journey, right? Everybody's on their own path. And I, I kind of started thinking about it like this, and I, I'm a visualist, if I could diagram it, I would. But imagine, like, ultimately all paths lead to whom?
0: To Jesus, right?
1: Jesus, right? I mean, they're all going to eventually, no matter who you are, where you are, they're all leading. this. So I picture, well, what about the Buddhists and the Hindus? And the Muslims, in fact, there are way more non-Christians than Christians on the planet. And obviously, way, 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 times a million, times a trillion more non-members of the Church of Jesus Christ than there are members. So what's going to happen to all the other people who are on their different journeys, faith journeys, if you want to call it a faith journey or whatever journey they're on, or non-faith journey, right? And I thought, what? I mean, how, how will they be judged? I think when Christ comes again and we really see what it's all about, I think there's going to be things that we... Thought were super important that actually weren't that important, and things we thought that maybe we didn't give a not, not a lot of attention to that were actually super super, you know, like loving our neighbor and ministering to those in need and those around us. And, and um, I mean, by the way, just not to get off track, but one way we can minister, one way we can lead, is by ministering to everyone, not just the, the two families you're called. to just like, let's minister to everyone, right? And um, yeah. but do a good job of them as well. So, so these different paths, regardless of what path you're on in the church, out of the church, used to be in the church, now not, now back in or never come back in, ultimately they all leave to Jesus Christ. They're all going to end up there. And so I think we, if I can understand that we and I can understand and go, okay, I love you, brother. You're on a different journey. That's okay. We're going to all end up going through that path eventually. And by me judging them or looking down on them or thinking they're sinning, they left because they want to sin. And by the way, I guess studies show most people don't leave because they want to sin, right? Most people leave, according to the studies, or at least one study I saw, because there's something that doesn't square up with their conscience or something, there's some cognitive dissonance, dissonance, right? And they're like, I I just got to leave because of this. And it pains me. So I'm one of the guys who, instead of saying, oh boy, I didn't know Joseph Smith did this or that or some church history thing, right? I'm out of here, which it's fine if if you do, right? Instead, I'm going to go, wait a minute, I'm going to stand fast and hold fast to what I know. And I'm going to stick around and try to advocate for change within, from within, bottom up and top down. And the gospel is perfect, right? But the church isn't. So let's try to bring the church in line as much as possible with the gospel. And really, if we're going to, if we're going to fulfill God's mission for us, Christ's mission for us to share the gospel with the entire world and President Nelson has challenged us to gather Israel, that's not just in Utah or Colorado. I mean, that's in the entire world. We probably need to. Buff our game a little bit, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
0: and I love that, that approach of, you know, even in the context of people who are, are doubting, maybe leaving their faith, of, you know, engaging in that battle and recognizing, you know, it's complicated, it's messy. I don't know, have all the answers, but I'm willing to like stick around and engage and not pretend it's not happening or, or yeah, make assumptions like, oh, they just want to sin or whatever, but just to engage in the battle. And, and that's, that's not, you know, a lot of these answers or these ideas, it's not like, they, you know, here's your five-step program and it'll just magically work.
1: But <laughs> no, it, it's like
0: <laughs> It's just sort of this mindset of like, yeah, I'm not, you may be in a ward somewhere that I'm just not into what's happening in an ward, right? Well, hey, you know, stick around, figure it out, like don't sit back or, you know, that type of thing.
1: Yeah, hey, instead of saying I'm out of here, which is fine, like, I'm not judging you if you're out of here, right? But it's just not me. There's two options, right? Either one option is I'm out of here. Or option number two is think, just stop for a minute, think. Think of all the blessings in your life, all the blessings that have come from the gospel of Jesus Christ and from specifically membership in his church. I'm not going to turn away from that because of something or whatever. I'm going to try to stay firmly grounded and advocate for positive change. That's me. I think those are the two choices. I choose, as for me and my house, right? We're going to choose the latter. We're going to stick it out and because I do think that, and I'm not saying you're disloyal if you leave, but I do think I know for a fact from reading the scriptures, the Lord values loyalty. I mean, He values loyalty big time. And I'm just not going to be the one of the ones who partakes of the fruit. I've partaken of the fruit; it's incredibly sweet. If, you have, if I'm, you're too young to have grandkids, but if you, when you have grandkids, I have a really young ones, so I'm not that old. But if you have grandkids, or any, you see your own children succeeding in life, there is no greater joy than seeing your children succeed in life, or in a sport, or at anything. Drawing a mm. painting, I mean, anything. Yeah. And I'm not, I've tasted the fruit of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go across the river, the filthy river, right? and join and get in the spacious building and start mocking. Cause I think the building falls, if I remember right from the, from the story, right? And I'm not judging anybody, but I just, that's not me. I choose the other path, you know? Yeah. And I hope I can help others. Back to Dave Older, right? I keep mentioning him, but I listened to him this morning with you talking to him. That is leadership. It's bringing out the best in others. Yeah. So how many people, can I help? Can we help bring with us Kurt on this amazing journey and keep them around long enough for it to become what it needs to become being at the church, right?
0: Yeah. It's uh, so easy sometimes to get caught up in the cynicism of it all, right? That And some yeah. people do and feel like, yeah. oh, we, I can't stand, I'm, I'm out of here, right? But that's the invitation, right? And and you've said it over again. That we realize there's some very complicated situations that people just, they leave or whatnot. But this is like our constant like call is like, hey, stay with us, like we recognize there's some complexities here, right? Maybe, yeah. you know, whether it's a cultural thing or doctrinal thing or whatever it is, but like, let's stay together and figure this out, right? And, and and just having that mindset in a ward and as you're engaging with people or raising your hand in elders quorum or whatever it is, like, that's just a strong way to lead in these communities.
1: Yeah, and you remind me of something. Selling is not telling and teaching is not telling, okay? Teaching is not telling. Teaching is... And leading is not telling, rather. Leading is showing. Back to Dave again. He he gets out there and tr- goes tracting. The spirit tells him you need to go tracting with your elders. <laughs> it's negative ten in Montreal. His French isn't that good, and he chooses to go tract with every single elder. And his wife takes the sisters in the mission at negative ten. That's leadership, man. That is leadership. Yeah, yeah. and that's just incredible. So yeah, back to some of these things. I, just a couple of examples of it could of we kind of touched on this, but there's doctrine and there's dogma, right? And I had the, Jared Searle is a local CES guy who trains all of us, seminary teachers, best teacher I've ever met in my life. Incredible (laughs) mentor for me and a a bunch, hundreds of seminary teachers in Colorado. I mean, he is as down the line as you can get down the line. I mean, he is like straight laced, right? But he used the word, he said to me one day, kind of in, in passing, we need to, you know, uh, Differentiate the dogma, or get rid of the dogma, or focus on the doctor, not the dogma. I was like, "Whoa, that's kind of a, a bit of a statement there." You tell me there's dogma? Yeah, there's dogma. What do I mean by dogma? I mean it's just cultural idiosyncrasies. Would be another mm. word for dogma, right? And so, do we want to focus on that and like let it fester and like go out and and like hack weeds all day? No, I want to water the plants, pull a few weeds, and then but focus on watering the plants, right? Yeah. Focus on the faith and on Christ. But just a couple of things, for example. I don't know if you've read the new Strength of Youth manual. Sure, yeah. If you compare it, I've compared them side by side, the old one and the new one. The old one, and I'm not criticizing, but there's a lot of kind of dogma or rules, if you will, in there. And the new one's more like, hey, have a relationship with Christ, talk to your parents, talk to your leaders, and and make your own choices. Yeah. And it really struck me. Come follow me. Our family loves to come follow me. Thanks mostly to my wife. She kind of says, hey, uh, let's do come follow me. I'm like, oh, okay, it's my turn. Here we go. But we assigned the kid. But, but leadership, too, is is letting other people Be willing to let other people kind of fail and not be a control freak. And so I'm going to say, Hey, chick, uh, Graham, we have two kids still at home, Graham and Grace. We're doing come and follow me. And I, and I read this and I was almost taken back. It's, it's from last week, but March 13 through 19, 2023. Come follow me. It says, can I read this just real quick? A little paragraph. In many ways, the Pharisees and scribes had made worshiping Jehovah burdensome. They often emphasize strict rules over eternal truths. Rules about the Sabbath day, which was meant to be a day of rest, were themselves a heavy burden. Thus, the corn story, remember, Christ speaking corn on the Sabbath. And then Jehovah himself came among his people. He taught them that the true purpose of religion was not to create burdens, but to relieve them. He taught that God gives us commandments, including one to honor the Sabbath, not to oppress us, but to bless us. That rhymes. Yes, the way to God is straight and narrow, but the Lord came to announce that. We need not walk it alone. Come unto me, he pleaded. His invitation to all who feel heavy laden for any reason is to stand beside him, to bind ourselves to him, and to, I'm not usually emotional, but this is kind of, this is touching me, to bind ourselves to him and to let him share our burdens. His promise is, you shall find rest unto your souls. His yoke is easy and his burden is light.
0: Mm, Love it.
1: That's leadership, my friend. It's not the do's and the don'ts and the checklists, right? Lynn Robbins said it so well in his interview with you a couple of weeks ago about the being versus doing. Yeah. Remember what he said? If you're just about doing and not checking stuff off, you can be going through the motions and doing all the checklists, including going to the temple every day and whatever else. But you can still be a fraud, a phony, if you're not becoming who the Lord would have you become, right? And using grace, right? As opposed to the strict rules and stuff. And then he flipped on the flip side. He said, however... If you're just talking about all the, how you're going to be this amazing person and everything, but you're not doing anything, then you're also a fraud. And there's the balance between, you know, the doing and the being. And so, you know, I love the new Strength and Use Guide. I want to get there in just a second. A couple other examples of some positive changes, I think. Two-hour church. I mean, who doesn't love two-hour two? church? I remember, though, at the time we had the change, I was home teaching a family. I think it was still home teaching back then. and. They had a hard time with the two hour change. They preferred the three hour change and they had, and we had this discussion about grace and they were having a rough time kind of with the Brad Wilcox concept. And, you know, we had some amazing discussions and years later, they're now fully, they're full converts. I mean, they're all down the Brad Wilcox path and two hours is great. So that was a positive change, but not everybody necessarily loved it, right? The, the mission age was a change. Where is it in the doctrine that you have to be 21 or? 19 to be a missionary. It's, that's not doctrinally based, right? The, the mission is sharing the gospel is the doctrine, and then we're trying to apply it through that. Sister missionaries can wear pants now. Hey, I got a, a daughter on a mission in Phoenix, in, uh, not Phoenix, in Arizona, Tempe Mission and Spanish speaking, and thank heaven she can wear pants. Awesome for her. That didn't change. You know, priests have given to all worthy males. that That's a significant change, right, that needed to happen. Does that mean that the church isn't true? No, it means, it means the church is true. It means that the, the prophets and apostles are inspired and there's a lot of uh, women in the church that are inspired as well i, I would love to see uh, i think there's a lot of unsung heroes and leaders female leaders in the church you know at, at the highest levels that we just don't probably see and i would love to see a lot more of that you know there's been significant adjustments to the temple ceremony if you've seen the new one where it's mm-hmm. red christ yeah. Center, yeah if you haven't been by the way and you're listening please go I picture that, you know, when I went, I'm not going to get specific, obviously, but when I went in 1986 to the Washington, D.C. temples where I took out my download, and I'm comparing that experience to the experience today, I'm like, whoa, these lucky people going through today. It's amazing. It, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's significant change. I mean, that's a sacred cow, right? How do you change the temple ceremony? How do you justify that? Well, all the covenants are exactly the same, right? But some of the the verbiage is is different and the the focus has improved to be very very christ-centric and i like it and that's a big one uh two more real quick a a big one and a small one same-sex couples can baptize their children now that's a huge change and for the positive right it needed to happen in my opinion and that's kind of not the hill i I choose to die on but i think it was very 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 needed I a small one, kind of a funny one. When I was at BYU, we, we couldn't have Diet Coke. They didn't sell at stores, right? Now they sell Diet Coke. We got to thank Elder Oofco for that because <laughs> he had the unnamed, <laughs> what he said, it was a diet soda that remained unnamed.
0: That's right. Um, That's right.
1: It was either Diet Coke or Voldemort. I'm not sure who he was talking about. I'm guessing it was, it was Diet Coke. But those are all super positive changes back to the point of the strength of youth. The strength of youth principle is what I call it. I love how in the strength of youth, like in the old one, it said, hey, you shall not... Let me just read it. Do not date. This is the old one. Do not date until you're 16 years old. I have a 14-year-old daughter. So I'm like, uh-oh. Do not date until you're 16 years old. Uh, Dating before then can lead to immorality, limit the number of young people you meet, and deprive you of experiences that will help you choose an eternal partner. That's pretty strict. Don't do it, right? You were raised that way. I was raised that way. What's the new one say? Well, it says, in some cultures, you get to know members of the opposite sex through wholesome group activities. For your emotional and spiritual development and safety, one-on-one activities should be postponed until you're mature. Age 16 is a good guideline. Counsel with your parents and leaders. And there's all, as far as tattoos and double piercings. It used to say don't do it. You're violating your. But now it's saying, hey, check with your parents. Figure it out. You know, which is good and bad. My 14 year old daughter came to me and said, Dad, I want to get a double piercing. I'm like, uh-oh. I'm a protective. There's dude. the <laughs> test, do- right? You want a what? <laughs> well, strength the youth says, I'm like, oh, darn that strength the youth. It's tough. It's harder when you have to make your own decisions, but it's way better. So what did I say? I can't say, Grace, you can't do it. It's not my job to say that. I could. I said, well, you know, Grace, I'm not going to tell you no, but let's talk about it, right? Let's think about it. And she said, well, Alyssa got a bubble piercing. That's my daughter-in-law. She's amazing. I didn't even know. Who cared? I was like, great. Hey, good yeah. for her. You know what, Grace, when you give a birth to a child... You can have as many piercings as you want, right? But Alyssa can make her own decisions. She's given birth to a child, which, by the way, is the ultimate pinnacle of success in this world. You know, Neil Armstrong thought it was him walking on the moon. But you know what, right. buddy? You're second place. Childbirth, first place. Nice. Anyhow, so, you know, I, I but I love the fact that she can come and counsel with us and learn to make her own decisions. Because you know what? One of your other guests said, I can't remember who it was, said, children will... Think to themselves. They will remember that he said uh, they will govern themselves. He said he did the Joseph Smith quote, teach them correct principles and let them govern yourselves. And then your your prior guest, Maven Lindsey Rob said, No, teach them correct principles because they will. Your children will govern themselves. Right. And I love the concept in soy. So in soy, it's like the youth, the paradigm is not anymore do, don't, 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 do, 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 do. It's they teach a principle. Here's the principle, right? They teach the principle. Then it even says the gospel principle, right? Then it says invitation and they make an invitation for you to live that principle as a guideline, right? Not as you must, but as a should, right? There's a big difference between must and should. In legal terms, must is you don't do it. You broke the contract, right? Should is, well, you, you should do it, but it's, it's not so you can make your own decision. And then so they make an invitation and then they, and then they share the blessing that comes along with obeying the principle. Right. And so I just, I wanted to apply that to one. So let me give you one quick example. In my opinion, if we could take that, I call it the soy paradigm or the strength of youth concept of teach the principle, invite people to live it, and then share the blessings that could come potentially from living the blessing, living that principle. And we could take that and apply it to every single aspect of the church. How awesome would that be? It would be, in my opinion, incredible. And you can think of lots of examples. I gave you a couple with the strength of the youth, but you know, here, here's one just off the cuff. Question 11, right? In the um, Temple Recommend interview. Current, do you understand and obey the Word of Wisdom? Great, love it. I love the Word of Wisdom personally, by the way. The soy paradigm would be the principle. Word of Wisdom is an inspired guide for our physical and spiritual health. Invitation, do you understand the Word of Wisdom and do you strive to live by its teachings? Blessing, by doing so, we're promised both physical and and spiritual blessings and health so if we could just take that kind of strength of youth concept that paradigm and apply it churchwide, I, I think it would it would really help bring us closer to being able to fulfill christ's mission for us which is sharing the gospel with the world you know what cultural idiosyncrasies or u.s centric kind of dogma things Do we have in the church, I'm not saying we do or don't, but it may, could we have, right? It's not my job to say, but that if we could replace those with a focus on Christ, we could much better fulfill our, our Christ mission for us as a, as a church.
0: Yeah. I just love, you know, taking these, especially these recent adjustments and changes and finding the the principles in them, right? Then I love how you frame it as the soy principle of strength of youth, that this model is is really effective that we could apply elsewhere and in development of faith and, and whatnot. So. Well, awesome, Eric. This has been, uh, I'm glad that you finally made it inside your podcast player and uh, you'll hear your voice, uh, you know, streaming from it. So the last question I have for you is just as you reflect on your time as a leader, whether you had a title or not, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ?
1: Uh, Great question, Kurt. I I knew it was coming because I've heard the other podcasts. That's right. (laughs) Yep. And I've always, you know, every time you ask that question to a different guest, I'm like, oh, that was an awesome answer. And then I'm like, no, that was an even better answer. And there's so many good answers. And, <laughs> all right, now it's your turn to,
0: to top it all. And right, it's my
1: turn. I can't top <laughs> it. Mine's, mine's at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> uh, Being a leader and working with other people, kind of from a grace based, a love based mentality, as opposed to kind of the strict rules based, you will do mentality, I think it's given me empathy that you know people are people, and especially the way I have to lead in business. once again, I don't I don't have employees working for me. Why I want them. I've never threatened a fire. I would never do it anyway. Hey, you're fine. You know, Elder Uchtdorf said in one of his talks that if you motivation by fear is really short term, and it do, doesn't work long term. In fact, ultimately, the people you're motivated by fear will probably turn on you and go against you. But motivation by love, by example, the do it first leadership style and leadership with empathy. I think having empathy and love for our fellow mankind, men and women, and trying to see them as the Lord sees them so that we can draw the best out of them and help them achieve their divine potential is what i've learned in my experiences as, as being a leader and listening to the, you know some of your great podcasts and, the, and and being mentored kind of at a distance through leading saints so uh, it's been an awesome journey and we're just getting started i mean shoot yeah i have grandkids but i feel like i got a, a lot of a lot of good years ahead to try to make positive change and continue to lead and bring the best out of others
0: other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. Remember, we'd love to have you at our next in-person retreat. Go check out the different options and locations where we're having these at leadingsaints.org slash gathering. It came as a result of the position of
1: leadership, which was imposed upon us, by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. and When the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.